Welcome to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com, dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Serving leaders, managers, and people who will be, helping you reach excellence in your work and achieve your personal goals at the same time. Sign up for the free course at clearandopen.com. If the teacher is making lots of attempts to get you to see something and your addict doesn't want to see it, what you're signaling is, I need to learn this the hard way. I need to fail. I need to hurt. I need more suffering for this lesson to be available to me. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. The addict in us has ideas about reality that are not true, and they assert that into our beliefs, our attitudes, the way we orient toward problems, and overall the way we engage with life itself. That's why for so many people, real change only happens after hitting rock bottom. But that doesn't always have to be the case, and I certainly don't want it to have to be the case for you. So today we're going to talk about embracing the addict to move towards something more productive and in line with reality, both as a manager of others and as a manager of self. I offer weekly member webcasts, online courses, and mentorship at clearandopen.com because it's my truth that with the right tools, people can solve their problems. Most people spend their entire lives chipping away at problems, trying to make them less bad instead of actually envisioning a near future where they are gone. And I see that that's possible if you just look at it the right way. And I share parts of these webcasts and courses on this show because I want to help you too. If it's helping you, I hope you'll do me the uh, courtesy and gesture of giving me feedback. I'd love to hear from you via email. And you can email me through the website at clearandopen.com. But if you're listening to the show on an Apple device, all you got to do is open the podcast app and view the full description of this episode and then click to leave a rating and review for the show. That helps other people like you find it. Thanks so much for listening. Let's start the show. The addict in us needs to be embraced. It wants things to stay the same. Life is chaos. Every moment is chaos. When I counsel managers to ask questions like this, what I thought was the simplest question in the world, how can you use your job to become more who you want to become? I assert this as this is the single most important, simple, catch-all panacea word that will shift the relationship so that you're actually mentoring that person. And what I find is managers won't ask it. For years, I was like, why won't people ask it? And then when I ask and ask and ask, why not, why not, why not? Eventually, you get to that same place. Well, I don't know what they're going to say. Yeah, that's the whole point. So what they tell me in that moment is their management conversations, all of them, so for the most part, have been coming from a place of control. They've been having controlled conversations that go the way they want them to go well, what's predictable about that? You're not listening to the person if that's the kind of conversation you're having. If you're in a conversation with another, another human being, if you're not completely open for whatever happens to happen, you're operating as the addict. You're trying to control the situation. So the supervisor, they're talking to the employee 
to, you know, hear them out as minimally as they can so that the person will get back to work and do, perform the tasks that they want them to perform. That's all the supervisor wants. And the supervisor needs to operate as a sort of an aspect of the addict. You could say the supervisor is a, a subset of the addict because it's all about control. Look, I just want this person to go back to work and do their job. I don't want to have to engage with them. I don't have to know what their dreams are, their hopes or what are. I just want them to be a cog in my machine, right? That's the reductionistic mindset. They're no different than the presser over there or the printer over here or whatever. They're just part of the machine. Why can't they just do what they're told to do? Well, because they're not a machine, actually. That's why. They're a human being with emotions and needs and concerns and fears. And here's a crazy idea. They need to relate with you about that. And if you're not willing, ask any therapist. A therapist has to be be someone, be someone, not just look like someone or say the right things, but be someone who is so okay with whatever that it draws out energetically the innermost secrets of the person they're talking to. That's a state of being. And that state of being is not the addict who needs the next thing the person says to be something predictable and controllable. Because a substance abuse addict, the, the sort of the dynamic of how that works is that's about control. Substance abuse addiction is about I have control over my state because I have this substance. So it's sort of, the, like I said, the more, more gross example of, of that. But we do that all of the time. We don't ask questions of people that we don't know the answers to very often. And lawyers, of course, will tell you, you should never do that. Well, why do lawyers say never ask a question you don't know the answer to? Because if you're trying to control the courtroom and the perceptions of the jury and the judge, of course, that's what you need to do. And hey, being able to do that is a useful skill. I have that sometimes. Sometimes I'll ask a series of questions of a client that I know all the answers to because I'm trying to get them to see something. Other times I'm asking questions that I don't know the answers to. Do you know which you're doing and why? You see, that's the thing. Because if you really, if you want to make a case, then you ask questions you know the answers to. But if you want to learn something, then you ask questions that you don't know the answers to. And if you never ask questions that you don't know where they're going to go, like, man, if I ask my employee what the meaning of their life is and how this job is going to get them there, well, they may realize that it's not actually helping them get anywhere and they might quit. Yeah, that might happen. When would you like to find that out? Today or years from now after they do a mediocre job and cause your business to sink like a stone? Whatever you choose, there's a price to pay. So fundamentally, the way this comes back to the one thing is I would say, uh, what is your, how does your one thing inform your relationship to change? Does your, is your one thing compel you for things to stay the same? Is your one thing an ally for the addict in you that wants things to stay the same? Or is your one thing compelling you to do new things, to move into the unknown? 
to try activities you've never done before, try ways of being you've never done before and see what happens. So as a coach, my job is to provide principles like org chart, classic one. Man, the org charts I see, amazing. But the most, my favorite one is the, the co-CEO role, the co, like, well, well, she's the president and I'm the CEO. Well, who, who reports to who? Isn't that like, aren't those synonyms? Well, we're, you know, we both own the business, so we co-lead it. Yeah, well, that's not a thing. You can't co-lead because when two, when more than one per- person is responsible for something, no one's responsible. That's the principle, right? In your house, one person has to be responsible for the bathroom being clean. If two people are responsible for it, it creates chaos, doesn't it? Questions about this? Does this make sense? That's why when you learn CPR, you point to the one person, you call 911. You don't say someone call 911 because no one will do it. So responsibility can't be shared. God, where was I going with this? Or chart as an example for someone help? Principles. Thank you. <laughs> so I will provide the pr- principles like responsibility can't be shared. I will provide social proof. I had a client who was in a similar situation and they did this and then this happened. And then you can Google that. You can Google the principle. You can look, you can find out. I will provide logical arguments behind the principle like I just did. Uh, I will get you excited about the potential results. I can't tell you what's going to happen. I can't. I don't know, and neither do you. Welcome to life. Because anybody who tells you they know what's going to happen is lying. So that's life. You don't know what's going to happen. Next course is going to be on meditation. I guarantee you, you have no idea what's going to happen if you start really meditating. You have no idea. That's really unknown. But you could trust that it's good because it's true. So that's why most people avoid meditation because, or they meditate, and I'll talk about this in the course, or they meditate in a way that is actually not meditation. The way 99% of people meditate is trying to control their state. It's no different than the pursuit of happiness. They're trying to cultivate a state of peace, calm, relaxation. That's not what meditation is. That's stage one of meditation is you need to be relaxed but that's just the foundation, not the house that sits on top of it. So anywhere you look, if you see problems that are longstanding, unresolved, look for the addict. And so I don't go proactively looking for addicts. I just run into them. So when I see like, oh, this person's working 60 hours a week and their business is bulging and falling apart at the seams, and they're complaining about work-life balance, I'm going to help that person adopt some strategies and tools to get less overwhelmed and save time and all that. And when they don't do it, I'm going to say, hmm, what's in the way? And then we'll explore that. And then we'll start to see, oh, okay, here's, there's some resistance there. But eventually, what you run into is the addict I just had a client complete with me this last week who I've worked with the better part of six years with. Six years. 
When he came to me, he was overwhelmed. When he left a few days ago, he was overwhelmed. Six years, he's an addict. But more important than him being an addict, because again, we're all addicts, more accurately and and, uh, more specifically, he's undifferentiated from his addict. He is addict and his addict is pretending to be him and he's believing it. That's it. And so what the addict will try to go ahead. Can you say that again? I'm not following. He's undifferentiated from his addict. So if we all have, great, thank you for asking. So if we all have an addict, there's no getting rid of it. That's not the right way to look at it. Impossible and a lot of work. That's not the issue. That if we define the addict as someone, as the aspect of us that is, wants things to stay the same and is not willing to take risks for unknown results. That's our premise. Premise two is life is that. Life is a series of taking risks for unknown results. Okay, well, now we have a contradiction. So then the idea is who you are, I'm asserting, who you are essentially is someone who can abide with life and take risks, calculated risks, social, socially proven risk, principled risks, calculated risks, all of that. But still, you don't know what's going to happen. The addict can't do that. You know, the substance abuse addict starts to feel a certain way. They see something that reminds them of their ex-wife or whatever, and then suddenly they find themselves driving to a bar. That's how that works. What's going on there? The emotion starts to come up, depression, let's say, and then something in them says, we can't handle this. We got to control that emotion. And for some people, that's alcohol or cocaine or exercise or sex or television or chocolate or work. It doesn't matter what it is. I mean, functionally speaking, Television is way better for you than meth. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll throw that out. Not having tried meth, I'm not sure, but let's just throw that out. In content, they're different. In context, this is the key thing to get. In context, there's no difference whatsoever because it's just a repression mechanism. What's different, you could say, is the medication. Alcohol, meth, uh, TV, chocolate, those are various medications that can be used to numb down the feeling. Those are all different. The addiction is the same. The addiction is like the itch and the medication is the scratch. The itch is, I can't bear feeling this. And then the author of the medication, the addict, says, okay, well, what's what are my options here? Should I go exercise or should I go... Uh, use some of my meth. Depends on the person and the circumstance. So as a society, we look at that and go, oh, well, exercise, that's a healthy way to manage depression. Well, I would say no, it's not. It's a more functional way to manage depression, but it leaves depression in place just as much as meth does. It's still there. You just distracted yourself from it. Now, is it more functional and better to distract yourself from your depression by getting more into your body than leaving it through some sort of drug? Sure. But that doesn't do anything with the depression. It's still there. 
See what I mean? So in our society, we've collapsed functionality and health into one thing. And we say, well, um, you know, I mean, taking antidepressants is considered healthy, right? Well, what's the difference between that and cocaine? Well, you get them from a doctor. Oh, okay. So self-medicating with a, a, a narcotic, that's not okay. But if you get a, something from a doctor, then it's healthy. Well, what if you get a prescription for marijuana from a doctor? Because you can do that now. Well, okay, well, then that's, I guess that's okay because the doctor says so. All right, well, what about in five years when mushrooms are, are, can be, um, you know, psilocybin mushrooms are decriminalized and you can get those from a doctor? What about then? Is, th- is, is that dealing with depression then? You see, our standards for what dealing with this kind of stuff is, is completely screwed up. Because we've collapsed, again, functionality and health. Health is the thing is gone. Health is you don't have to manage it with anything. Health is you look at the thing that reminds you of your ex-wife and you don't feel a, a response to it. That's health. You've healed it. Or maybe you know on the way to that, the depression starts to rise and you just see it for what it is and go, oh, there's my addict wanting to be depressed because newsflash, folks, depression is an addiction. Depression is an addiction. I can say that it took me only about 20 years to actually see it as an addiction and detox from it. Because for years and years and years, whenever a client would leave, and this happened just a few days ago, whenever a client would leave, I would go into a kind of depression, sometimes strong, sometimes not, about like, oh, well, I wasn't good enough and they didn't change and all this over-responsible stuff. That was really control, right? Because it came from a place of like, oh, I actually can make them change, which is bullshit. I can make them change. Therefore, if they leave and don't get changed, then that's somehow my fault. And then when I saw that and I actually saw like, wow, I don't, have, I don't really make anyone change. Suffering is what makes people change for the most part. And I'm just sort of there to help the two people, the two entities relate. And I saw that enough. So a few days ago when this client finally canceled, I saw like a rising tide, the set of thoughts. Uh, You're not good at what you do. You're a phony. Um, uh, You should have fired him a long time ago because he wasn't going anywhere. All these kinds of thoughts. And I just saw them and I saw, oh, there they come. That's not me. That's the addict. Because the fact is, I have very little control over what happens with my clients and members. But my addict hates that. He wants to be able to go like this and have you change. That's what an arrogant, controlling, narcissistic, deeply caring and hardworking person that guy is. But do you see the arrogance in that? Like, I could possibly know how you're supposed to be. I can make lots of suggestions. I can come from experience. I can go based on what you're saying on that. But what do I know? Not absolutely. You guys, I've told the story of, did I do it in this course? The story of the audio, the pro audio guy who wanted to expand and then fired me. Did I tell you about that story? I can do it quickly. 
So in like 90 seconds, one of my earliest clients 15 years ago had a chain of um, home theater stores. Uh, this was right before the recession of 2007, 2008. He wanted to expand. He was a terrible manager. He was overwhelmed. I said, dude, I didn't call him dude, but I said, dude, the, you, the, the conventional wisdom is if you have a messy house, you don't get a bigger house. You're just going to have a bigger mess. You, you got to figure out how to do this and then expand from that. If you expand this now, bad things will happen. Entrepreneurial, he wanted a national brand. Well, he went against my advice. I was way too controlling about it. I wanted my way. He fired me. I never heard from him for years. I would email him on his birthdays and stuff and was curious about it. He called me up six years later and said, Joseph, you were right. I said, oh my God, what the hell happened? Where have you been? What's going on? He'd expanded in 2007, six more stores. The economy tanked. He had it collapsed down to, I think, one or two stores. He had to close a bunch of stores. He was in $2 million of debt, had all of this aging electronics inventory, which is like having almost like produce for how long it lasts, because any electronics you have in a year are going to be out of date and worth nothing. His wife left him and he absolutely hit bottom. And then he remembered his high school sweetheart, looked her up, found her in London, flew there without even contacting her. Six months later, they were married. He rebuilt his business. I I just talked to him. um, That was, boy, I don't know, five years ago, all of that. I just talked to him three months ago. He just sold his business to a national brand. He's sort of to be an employee in a larger thing. It's a really good thing for him. So he ended up getting what he wanted, but not the way he thought. So was I right? One of the most instructive moments for me. Was I right? Was I right that he shouldn't have expanded? In content, yes. In context, no. He needed to hit bottom. I didn't understand that then. I didn't understand that people need to make their own mistakes sometimes. And that wise discernment is being able to tell when someone needs to not make the mistake, needs to learn without making it. Sometimes people need to learn by making it. It took me about 16, 17 years to learn, and I still make mistakes with it. That's the ultimate. How to discern what lessons they need to learn directly from life versus what lessons they can learn from you. So, one of the ways I do that is I look at how much effort I'm putting in to the person waking up to whatever the reality is. And if I make the social proof, and this is, again, high-level learning for change stuff, if the teacher is making lots of attempts to get you to see something and your addict doesn't want to see it, what you're signaling is, I need to learn this the hard way. I need to fail. I need to hurt. I need more suffering for this lesson to be available to me. Thanks for listening to Manage to Engage, the clear and open podcast. Join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be. Until then, know that clear and open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. If you want to help the show grow, I'd appreciate you leaving a rating and review on iTunes. All you have to do is open the Apple Podcasts app, view the full description of the episode, 
and click the link to leave a rating and review. Or you can go to clearandopen.com slash review, and it will bring you to the right place. If you're looking for more support on your journey, head over to clearandopen.com for even more tools, articles, and free resources. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.